Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read to you verses 10 through 18. We will not get that far tonight, but we will, we will finish tonight uh, and next week. But we will wrap up the whole study. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10. Finally, Paul says, Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Now, again, this is the section we're going to begin to break down. As I just touched on, we won't get that far, but we're going to get into this a little bit and we'll begin to look at the armor a little bit tonight. But as we break down this section, though, and study it, I think it's necessary to point out that we are in the crosshairs of a battle between Satan and his forces and God and his. And I've, most Christians are oblivious to this. They know God exists. They believe Satan exists and all that kind of stuff. And they understand about angels and demons. But very, very few Christians really understand the seriousness of the spiritual battle that is really going on and the fact that we are in the crosshairs between the two forces that are fighting against each other. Now, God is on our side and God is for us, those of us who are his children through Jesus Christ. Yet at the same time, I want to kind of show you scripturally some passages that kind of illustrate the fact that there's a battle going on at all times around us in the spiritual realm that we may not be able to see with our physical eyes. So go with me, put a bookmark here in Ephesians. Go with me to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10, and we're just going to read verses 12 through 14 to kind of begin to kind of take a look at this and illustrate it. In Daniel chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Now an angel is speaking to Daniel, and he says in verse 12 of Daniel 10, Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me twenty-one days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So here is Daniel's praying about his people, and he's been given a vision by God, and he said, I need understanding. God sends an angel to come bring the message to him. What happened to the angel? Got it delayed. 21 days, three weeks. Why? There was a battle going on between him and the prince of Persia. So we don't know a whole lot here. We're not going to take the time to really get into that because that's not our study for tonight. But you can see if you do a study of angels and demons in the scriptures, you'll see that there's levels of authority and power when it comes to angels and demons. And some of them actually are over certain areas of the country. And some of you, have you ever been in a place and you just sent, you could actually sense the presence of evil and it is almost it was palpable. Well, trust me, there is a spiritual realm that is going on just as real as God is and Jesus is and the angels are. So are the demons. And there is a battle going on. And we sometimes are. Well, we're going to be used as pawns because as you're going to see, God's purpose 
is to bring glory to himself, and sometimes it's through us. At the same time, Satan's purpose is to take the glory from God and to do damage to God, and sometimes he'll go at us in order to do that. Go to the book of Job. We're not going to take the time to really break this down too, too much, but I just want to show you this just to kind of remind you of some of these truths. Job chapter 1, look at verses 6 through 12. Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. All right. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And these sons of God are angels and demons, as you can see. Came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came along among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? Now you got to stop for a second. Why in the world would God, with that kind of a conversation, say, Have you considered Job? Well, we know from the book of Peter, what is Satan's purpose when he goes to and fro throughout the earth? What's he looking to do? He's, he's looking for someone to devour, the Bible says. Exactly. So when, when, God, when Satan shows up, by the way, when God says to Satan, what, what have you been up to? Did God not know? Why, why was God asking Satan a question he already knew the answer to? <laughs> well, that's part of it. I think God was just jerking his leash. I mean, let's be honest. Satan is on a leash. He's been given some freedom, but he's kind of on a leash. And I love the fact that Satan can't say none of your business to God. And he has to answer. He says, you know what I've been up to. I've been going back and forth throughout the earth. And God knows why he's going back and forth throughout the earth, looking for someone to devour. He's like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And then listen to what God says. I know why you've been going back and forth throughout the earth, looking for someone to devour. Have you noticed Job? Now, that, that might mess some of our theology up here for a second, because... Many people think that once we trust Christ, that means we're going to have the yellow brick road all the way to heaven and everything's going to be fine. And that's not what the Bible teaches. And so God says, have you considered Job? And uh, this verse 8, Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? And there, there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and, and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions and have increased in the and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. God gave him permission. I, you got to understand what's going on. Why in the world is Satan even, does Satan even care about us? No. no. But he knows God does, and he hates God. And his way to get at God is to go after us. At the same time, though, God allows him. And we're going to get into that tonight as we really start to take a good look at this. So like I say, before we really get into the armor of God, I really want you to understand that there is a spiritual battle going on between God and his forces and Satan and his forces, and we sometimes are going to be caught in the crosshairs, and we shouldn't be surprised by it. Now, let me take you to one other passage in the book of Revelation. Go to Revelation chapter 12. Look at verses 7 through 17. This is uh, during the tribulation period. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 17. It says, Now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. 
but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short." And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the, from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with a flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from its mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. Now, at this point here, this is during the tribulation period. Satan himself is at that point finally cast out of heaven. Yes, he fell from his great position back when he tried to take God's place and he tried to become like God. But folks, understand, he's not been cast out of heaven totally. We just saw in the book of Job, he appears before God. And the scripture here shows us that he accuses the brethren night and day. But at that moment, he will be ultimately cast out of the presence of God and out of heaven, down to the earth. And he won't be allowed to be in the spiritual realm and the earth anymore like he is now. He'll only be allowed to be on the earth. And when he does, he's going to go after the nation of Israel. God's going to protect them. They're going to be out in the wilderness and he's going to protect them. And then he's going to go after all those who believe in God through Jesus Christ, the offspring of the nation of Israel. And he's going to go after them at that time. But boy, why is he going after humans? Because he hates mankind. We were made in the image of God and he hates God. So you've got to understand, we are right now. There is a battle going on in this world, in, in, in the spiritual realm, and we're oblivious to it most of the time. And so we need to just kind of begin to... Now, I want to say this to you, though. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, but be alert and be wise. And so we're going to take our look at this study tonight from this standpoint of understanding what's really going on, but not getting all freaked out by, oh no, Satan's after me. Oh, well, let's look at the scriptures and look at what the scriptures have to say about that. Go to John chapter 16, verse 33. Most of you can quote it if I got you started. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world you will have what? Trouble. Trouble. Exactly. But take heart. And he said in verse 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have over." Come the world. In 1 Peter chapter 5, look at verses 6 through 11. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 through 11. And I'm going to tell you now, we're going to be covering a lot of scripture. So write fast and turn quicker. 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 11. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. 
Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. We see this passage here talk about how Satan's looking for someone to devour, but we don't really remember the first part of this passage. Humble yourselves, therefore, verse 6 again, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because what? He cares for you. You got to keep that in mind as you understand all this and what's going on. The one who is the winner already... In this battle, he cares for you. Relax. Don't be afraid. Just be what? Wise. Wise and alert. You need to understand what's really going on. Some of you struggle with certain areas of sin, and you don't realize what's really going on behind the scenes and why you have so much trouble having victory. And so tonight, we're going to begin to really begin to look at that. And James chapter 4, verse 7, James chapter 4, verse 7, real quickly. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will what? And he will flee. Again, you don't have to go fight Satan. Too many of us have been taught that we have dominion and all this stuff, and we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna bind Satan, folks. Let me just tell you that you don't have the power to bind Satan, and he won't be bound till that tribulation period's over, and he's gonna be in that pit for a thousand years. But until then, God has, even though all authority has been given to God, he's not exercising all of that authority in the sense of controlling Satan. You don't think you've got the power. Don't listen to bad theology out there that says, well, you can just bind him. No, you can't. The Bible says you're to submit yourself to God and you are to resist him and then he'll leave. And it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the Jesus in you. The battle is of the Lord. The battle's of the Lord. Exactly. But if we don't understand that our enemy is constantly on the prowl looking for someone to devour, we will be easy prey. Now, I'm not going to go into this too much because you've heard me teach on this already in great detail. But let me just remind you that if you're a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ, Satan can do nothing to you without God's permission. You remember we already looked at earlier at Luke 22, 31 and 32, where Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you. Well, what was Satan doing asking? Well, once you become a child of God, he puts his spirit within you. And if you watch the encounters between God himself and demons, what happens with men, the man of the legion of demons? He had a, a legion of demons within him. And when Jesus walked up, what was their reaction? They freaked out, didn't they? They're like, whoa, we know who you are. Jesus, son of the most high God. Well, why? How could this man who had a legion of demons know who Jesus really was? Well, because the demons can see the physical realm and the spiritual realm. And they saw the physical man, Jesus, but they also saw the spiritual and they knew he was God. Folks, listen to me. If you've been born again, who lives within you now? Jesus himself, God himself lives within you and I. And so whenever we walk on this planet, even though we can't see the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm can see the spiritual realm and they see God. And they cannot touch you without permission. That's why once you become his child, Satan has to go ask for permission to mess with you. Now, so just keep that in mind. Actually, we even see in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, and we're not going to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, the Bible says that Jesus was led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And see, God controls it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, There is no temptation that has seized you, but such is common to man. And God will not allow you to be tempted with more than you're able to bear. And with the temptation, 
He will provide a way for you to escape. Listen closely to that passage. God seems to be quite actively involved in the temptation, isn't he? He first of all says, whatever you're going through, you're not the only one. So don't let Satan lie to you about that one. And not only that, God won't allow your temptation to be more than you can handle. And with it, he'll provide a way to escape. James 1.13 says, don't think for a second that God tempts anyone. That's not what he does. But he controls whether or not the enemy will be allowed to work in your life. You've got to understand that there is a battle going on every day. And you're in the crosshairs. But you have someone within you who has already defeated him. And he can give you victory again. But we have to understand this. And too many Christians try to do the best we can. And we try to fight the spiritual battle that we don't understand is spiritual in our own strength. And you will lose 100% of the time. Now, as we saw in Job's case, God doesn't always say no when Satan asks, asks to attack us, does he? Why would God ever say yes? Why does God say yes in this situation with Peter? It's a part of our shaping. It's actually for our good. What Satan wants to use for evil, God's going to use for good. Isn't that what Joseph said to his brothers? What you meant for evil, God used it for good. We need to understand the heart of God. Let me just take you to something real quick that will help you throughout the rest of this study. Um, go to Proverbs chapter 3. And look at verse 27. It's just a little quick little aside. It's not in my notes, but it's something I really think God wants me to show you. Proverbs chapter 3. Look at verse 27. It says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Let me read it to you again. Do not hold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Now, for years, I've read this passage looking at me and my responsibility and my obligation and my duty, because if I have the ability to meet the need, I'm supposed to because the scripture says. But God told me recently, he said, Jim, I want you to look at it and see what it says about me. What does this say about God? You see, God would never ask us to do something that he would never do, right? So if God is saying to us, don't withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it, what does that tell us about God? He won't withhold good from those when it's in his power to do. By the way, is it in his power to do as good at all times? That means if he has said no, it's good. If he tells you and I, do not withhold good when it's in your power to do so, that means that God will never, ever, 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 ever withhold good if it's in his power to do so, if we're do it. I don't think many Christians really grasp that. I think there are too many that walk around saying, well, nothing good ever happens to me. And we assume the worst. Or I don't deserve it. Or God's not really for me. Well, Jim, he would do that for you because you're closer to him. There's too many Christians that have been deceived to really understand who God really is and what his heart is toward us. Folks, that means if God says no, that is what's good. Isn't that what Paul ended up finally realizing in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 when he prayed three times that God would remove the, remove the thorn? And God said, actually, that's not best for you. My grace is sufficient. And Paul then said, you know what? I'm going to embrace this thorn. Because now I've experienced a power through my weakness that I wouldn't have experienced before. This is actually a good thing. And he came to realize the, good, the gift of God in his suffering. Now, so remember, God sometimes says no when Satan asks to attack us. But sometimes he permits it 
for his purposes of his glory and our growth. Now, at the same time, I made the statement just a second ago about the fact that Satan can't do anything to you without God's permission. But I think that also blinds us to the fact that we're living in a world that is already under Satan's control. And we're living in bodies that are still under the curse of sin. And so we must also understand that there will also be constant attacks against us simply because we live in fleshly bodies and are still in this world, which is under Satan's rule at this time. Yes, when it comes to an actual severe, if you will, attack and God, Satan's purpose to destroy you, he has to check with your father first. But don't also lose sight of the fact of you live in a world right now that is already set against you. And you live in a body that is already set against you. <laughs> Satan doesn't have to ask for God's permission to have the world tempt you through your television, does he? That's already, that system's already set in place. Satan doesn't have to ask for God's permission for your flesh to try to pull you away from following God in faith, does he? No, because that's already there and it's already in place. And I always want to show you some scriptures that talk about that. Go to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter two, look at verses 15 through 17. Scripture says, do not love the world or things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then it clarifies what this means, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Unfortunately, over the years, a lot of preachers had misunderstood what this was saying when it says don't love the world. And they just started to teach that anything good, anything fun, that was of the world. And Christians aren't to have any fun and they're not to be, you know, that kind of a deal. That's not what the passage is talking about. When it's talking about the world, it's not saying you can't enjoy a round of golf or you can't enjoy a go, go fishing or those types of things. Because actually the Bible says in the book of Timothy that God has made everything for us to enjoy. But when it's talking about the world, it clarifies what the world is. And what he's talking about when he talks about the world, he's talking about this evil world system. Who is the ruler of this world at this time, according to the scriptures? Satan, Satan is. Who's the prince of the power of the air? Satan. He's been for a time given authority in this world. Again, like I said, he's on a leash and he's only got limited authority, but he has been given authority to rule in this world. And he's got demons and he might even have he might even have the head demons over in Indian Harbor Beach. We don't even know. You know, we don't know where, where their headquarters are, but there, there are going to be people in area, or demons, if you will, in areas of control. And that's all going on. With that, he's been allowed to set up things in the world in such a way that everywhere we go, you're going to see the world system as itself kind of, it's against God, is it not? The mindset of the world is to go away from God. You have the power within you. You're good in your of yourself. The only reason you're a bad person they'll try to teach you is because of your environment. It's not you. And they try to ignore the fact that man is sinful and the heart is deceitful beyond all things, as the Bible says. And they'd say, you're a good and of yourself. And all this whole, watch the commercials on TV today. You know, you deserve a break today. <laughs> Obey your thirst. It's all about you and how you're the center of the world. And that's what it all is all about. And the world glamorizes things that are actually not of the Father. And that's why he says, watch out for those things. Don't love those things. And when he says, what I mean by the world is the desires of the flesh, 
the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. These things are not from the Father, but from this evil world system. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And back in James chapter 4, when I taught, showed, read you verse 7, go, go a little bit further prior to that. In James chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, James says, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, all of a sudden, this verse that we already looked at earlier about resisting the devil and he'll flee takes on a whole new context. Before we saw it as Satan's coming to attack me. I'm to submit myself to God and resist him and he'll leave. But in the context here, what it's really saying is in this world you live in, he's already been attacking in many different ways. Do you all realize how hard it is for us as parents today, raising children, especially in this day and age, when every kid probably has one of these things in their hands? And we've had this conversation with our children. You see, when you, were, when you were raising your kids before these day and age of cell phones and all that kind of stuff, you at least could listen in on half of the conversation when your kid was on the phone with a friend of theirs, right? And you could get a rough idea of what was being said. Now you have no idea what is really being said as they text back and forth and whisper with their friends all over. Also, on top of that, because of the way these things are nowadays, people can send them pictures and all that, and you have no idea. Back in the day when a young boy wanted to go look at pictures he wasn't supposed to look at, he had to sneak to the store and hope that the store owner didn't recognize him when he bought it in that magazine in the brown paper. Nowadays, the world has been allowed to influence and infiltrate. And folks, if you are not, a, oh, you said, we'll just buy the spyware and we'll buy that stuff that blocks. Good luck. Don't fool yourself. They may help a little, but it ain't going to stop anybody from wanting to see what they really want to see. The issue is you got to really start to really like teaching our kids the importance of the heart. We can make all these rules and systems and protect our kids and lock them up and take away their phones. And now you got to teach them about the heart. We all got to be the same way. What are what's coming in at you? And folks, yes, Satan does come at us sometimes, but he has to get permission from the father. But the world system has already been put in place and it's ready to go at you every day, 24 hours a day. And if you're oblivious to it, you'll not even realize that you're susceptible to the enemy's attacks. And that's why in the context, he says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And then he says, do you suppose it's to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he's made to dwell in us? Oh, I love the good news here, but God gives more grace. God will oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, God, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. How do we resist the devil in the context here? It's not under the attack in that sense. It's saying no to the things of the world that are enticing to our flesh, to our eyes, to our pride. Well, I won't be popular. That's okay. That's okay. John chapter 17. Look at John chapter 17. Get a little commercial for the cruise. John chapter 17. Look at verses 14 through 16. Jesus is praying for his disciples and he says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. 
just as I'm not of the world. I don't ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I'm not of the world. Do you see it? Folks, too many Christians think that the answer is to have a commune. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we're to be in the world, but not of it. But if we're oblivious to the fact that the world itself is already against us, it's under the control of the enemy, we're going to be easy prey. And how many Christians have been weakened in their walk with the Lord, in their personal growth, in their knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, because they have been trying to play both sides? Again, this is where the preacher starts to say, here's the TVs that are, shows that are approved, here are the movies that you can see and where you can't. And that's not where we're to go, because I'm not supposed to take the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you individually. It's the way he would have you do. And you ready for a shocker? He might actually say it's okay for one of you to see something and not okay for another person. And that really messes us up. <laughs> but have we learned how to listen to the Spirit of God so that he would do in through us and in our lives what he desires? Folks, all I'm saying to you is this. Be alert. Be wise. Don't become judgmental and all you should be... If you see a brother in a sin, you who are spiritual, who have a good relationship with them, you restore them gently. There's nothing wrong with asking my brother or my sister, is this something that you think God is okay with? And if they say, I believe it is, God is okay with it, and the scripture hasn't said clearly that it's sin, you're going to have to just trust that to them and God. Too many of us spend too much of our time trying to tell everybody else how they ought to be living their lives. I found most of the time when that happens, that person's not really listening to the Lord themselves. It's a whole lot of, you know, well, you know how it is. When you had more than one kid and you started to correct one, their first reaction was to point out the faults of the others. Just be alert to the fact. Now, go back to Ephesians. That's where we started, I'm pretty sure. Ephesians, look at verse 10. He says, be strong in the Lord. And in the strength of his might. This word be strong actually could be translated be strengthened. See, a lot of us hear be strong and we think to ourselves to be strong in our own power, in our own strength. That's not what it's saying. It's actually saying be strengthened. You can't be strong in your own strength. I'm going to ask you a question. What do you have that Satan fears? Nothing. <laughs> Christ in you is the only thing he fears. There's nothing you have that he fears. Nothing. Nothing. It's only Christ in you that he fears. So when he's saying be strong, it's in your strength. But we also choose whom Satan deals with. Have you ever thought about it that way? You choose whom Satan deals with. You choose whether or not he's going to deal with, with Christ or whether or not it's, he deals with you. And as you've already said, Jim, every time he deals with you, he will win. Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Back up, you know, to Ephesians 3 and look again at verses 14 through 21. I want you to see something in here. In chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, listen, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what's the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and know the love of Christ. This surpasses knowledge. Listen closely. Look, look at what he says. You even need God's strengthening to even be able to comprehend his love. Oh, dear. God is beginning wisdom and 
Spirit of God is the beginning of wisdom. But see, here's part of the problem is we've turned this knowledge of the Lord into academia. We take a course. We learn the right answers. We do the study guide and we fill in the blank. And we think we have knowledge now because I took the course, I got the diploma, I actually have taken all these discipleship classes, but actually, if you have not had God begin to actually have it take root in your heart through His Spirit bringing this to a real understanding, it doesn't matter how many head knowledge courses you take, you're not growing in your walk with the Lord. I had the privilege of preaching this Sunday actually at, at, at Church for the Beach, and which is actually walking distance from my house. That was a real treat, you know? <laughs> and so, and I had, they asked me to preach, and they're, they're actually going through the book of Ephesians. They just started the book of Ephesians. I think, I said, I think I know that one. And uh, um, so they asked me to preach on chapter 1, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. And that's where Paul says, after they had just said in verses 13 and 14, that you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, which is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And so right after that, he says, because of this, because of the fact that you have his spirit, and I've heard of your faith and your love for each other, here's my prayer for you, that you would have the eyes of your heart opened. You'd receive a spirit of wisdom and knowledge, a revelation, so that you would know the hope to which he's called you, the glorious inheritance in the saints, his incomparably great power for us to believe. In other words, Paul says, man, you've got God all in you, and that's awesome. And you love each other, and you've got a faith, that's great. Now, here's my prayer for you. Pray that God would help you to understand what you really have within you now that Jesus is in you. He didn't say, I pray that you would have another experience or another service where the Spirit's poured out. You already got God. All of God you need is all there. He gives the Spirit without measure, John the Baptist said in John chapter 3. He says, my prayer is that you now would move into an understanding of all that is there. Now, how does that happen? It's by Him strengthening us. That's how we humble ourselves and say, Lord... I, you live within me, but I don't even know what that means. But I want to. Lord, there's this power, that, this incomparably great power that rose Jesus from the dead. And i got to be honest with you. That I, I can't even fathom what even that even begins to look like. And I know there are those who say that we can move mountains and all this stuff. Could you just begin to teach me what it means to have it develop my faith in you? That I would actually receive the fact that you really do love me? Jim told me that passage in Proverbs today and. Chapter 3, verse 27, about how you won't withhold good if it's for my best and I'm do it. i, I got to be honest with you, Lord, I struggle with that. But I want to believe it. Would you give me the grace to receive it? When he says be strong in the Lord, he isn't saying you need to have a stiff upper lip and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. He's saying you need to be strengthened in the Lord. You need to be strengthened by him. And the only way to have that happen is to say, help. I need it. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. One of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Isn't that one of the coolest prayers? Lord, I do believe a little, but I can obviously, I'm not in the, the kind of believing you're talking about. Could you, could, you, could you give me that? Will he? Yes, he will. Oh, you can't, you don't have to take a course. 1 John 4, 4, you don't have to turn there. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This is why Paul says to be strengthened in the Lord and in the power of his might. By the way, this power against the enemy is for those of us who have Christ in us, not for those who don't. And we're not going to take time there. If you want to write it down and look at it later on in Acts 19, verses 
11 through 17, Acts 19, verses 11 through 17, you see the story of these seven sons of Siva, who was a Jewish high priest. And his seven sons, they started going around and trying to cast out demons in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches. As I, I hear laughter. Some of you know what happened next. This one man who had the demon in him beat up all seven of them and sent them out of the house bleeding and naked. But, oh, before he did that, he said, uh, Jesus, I know. And Paul, I've heard of. Who are you? See, he didn't fear these guys, even though they were claiming the name of Jesus. Oh, no, no, no. You, if you don't have him living within you, you don't have this power against the enemy. Why? It's not because you have the right words. So many people think that they, we fight with each other. Whether or not you're baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, or whether or not you're baptized in the name of Jesus. And there's people breaking into groups of whether or not they say the right word. And did you pray in the name of Jesus? Oh, folks, you still don't understand if you think it's a formula. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. Is Jesus in you? If he's in you, you're in him. And let's just start from there and understand that you have been sealed by God. You are in Christ. And now we need to begin to move beyond that to a deeper understanding of what does it really mean that I'm in Christ and he's in me. And I'm going to tell you now, the teaching that we are to do, the people like me that have been called by God to do this, is necessary to point you to truth, but the real learning won't happen in a course. The real learning is going to happen when you get out of here and you say, Lord, there's a specific situation I'm going through right now in my, my, my life, and I want to have you begin to teach me through this. You'll begin to experience who God is through that walking with him that only happens that way. It'll never happen through a course. He then says to stand. Standing against the devil and having done all to stand was a military reference. When soldiers lost in a battle, they are said to have fallen in battle. You've heard that term before, haven't you? A soldier's desire was to still be standing at the end of the battle. That was his desire, was it not? And that's why Paul says that we are to put on the whole armor of God that we'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Look closely. How are you going to be able to stand against the schemes of the devil? And by the way, there are many. How are you going to be able to stand? It just said right here. If you are wearing what? The whole armor of God. And we're going to only look at two pieces tonight. But you need to understand that what this whole armor of God is. And folks, I can't wait to show you. Because I'll be honest with you, I've been teaching out of this passage for 30 years. And God showed me stuff in this passage that I've never seen before. And actually, he showed me that I had done lazy exegesis for a long time. There are actually passages in the Old Testament that actually are almost word for word with this. And I've never seen it before. But this standing is only going to happen as we put on the whole armor of God. All right, now... Paul's pointing out that the devil's behind all this is a big deal. When he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Has anybody caught the fact that he tends to say the same thing five different ways? Listen to how he says it again. We don't wrestle against humans, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Well, which is it? Yeah, yeah it's all that. And he's trying to say something to you. Folks, there is, there is a battle going on that is far greater than you. You'll never win. Well, I'm going to try harder. 
How many of us have walked an aisle at our church and rededicated our life and made promises and vows to God? God, this time I mean it. I'm going to live for you. And Satan laughs. And God sighs. He says, you still aren't listening. Apart from me doing it, you can do nothing. Oh, but I want to. I will if you'll let me and believe me. Too many of us have been taught to fight the enemy in our own strength just by trying harder to do better. I think that's why he tells us to be still and know that I am God and rest in the Lord. Exactly. Be still and know that I'm God. Exactly. Paul uh, typically didn't say it was Satan. Does anybody know what the terms Paul would typically use to describe the attack that is against us? The world was one. What's another one? Sin. And the flesh. Paul always talked about watching out for sin, the flesh, and the world. He clarifies for us now, though, hey, look, it is actually Satan himself behind all this. In case you missed that, he says. And, but he also clarifies that this battle is not against humans. And I love the fact that he, he, he didn't have to say that. He didn't have to say that. He could have just said we're battling against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places, cosmic powers. But he clarified, and that's good for us, because sometimes we have to be reminded, yeah, we understand it's not a, it's spiritual forces of evil. No, it also means my beef is not really with you. Yes, ma'am. One of the most powerful things that Chris and I ever experienced at a marriage conference was the pastor, the speaker had us hold hands and read that verse and said, look at your spouse and say, you are not my enemy. Mm. There is an enemy who wants our marriage and wants you and wants me. <clears throat> Exactly. And we have a tendency when we're in a marriage battle to go at each other. I'll be honest with you, there have been times over the years when Becky's in my marriage where we'll have those days when all of a sudden you can just sense there's a tension. And you're not even really sure where it came from, but all of a sudden she's irritating because she's perfect. But, but someday she's irritating. <laughs> and, but at the same time, I in those times start to sense, okay, this is really a spiritual thing going on. Now, the hard part is your flesh doesn't want to humble itself and acknowledge that. Your flesh wants to win the battle in the argument and be the one that's in the right. We're not going to turn there, but in Matthew 16, Jesus, after P Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Johnson, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you. <laughs> right after that, he said he was going to die. And what does Peter do? Peter says, not so, Lord. I'm not going to let that happen. What was Jesus' reaction to Peter saying, I'm not going to let that happen? Turned around and he spoke to Peter, but he actually spoke to who was actually speaking through Peter. He recognized who was really talking. Now listen closely to what I want you to see here. Our battle is not against humans, and sometimes they aren't even aware that they're being used by the enemy. Sometimes we're not even aware that we're being used by the enemy. I don't know if Job's wife understood that she was being used by the enemy. I don't know. It's been real easy for us over the years to just kind of paint her in a bad light when she said, curse God and die. But I'll tell you one thing, if you do a real study of that passage, you'll find out that earlier, Satan had just said, and we saw it earlier in Job chapter one, if you do this to him, he will curse you to your face. 
And when Job's wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? It wasn't Job's wife talking. It was Satan talking. This is interesting. Go real quick to, to Romans chapter 12. This kind of goes along the same line of what you were just bringing out there, Allison. In Romans chapter 12, look at verses 19 through 21. I think this is why, because our battle really isn't against flesh and blood, because it, 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 any real issue we have when it comes to contention and struggling with sin is actually a spiritual issue. I think this is why God gives us the instructions that he does here in Romans 12, verses 19 through 21. Um, well, back up to verse 18. Uh, actually, back up to verse 17. We could go on forever. Look at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by do so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but be overcome evil with good. Have you ever looked at that passage from the context of the fact that actually this person is not the one that I'm really fighting against right now? So that makes it even easier to do good to your quote-unquote enemy. It makes it easier for that to happen because now that person's really not the enemy. The enemy's the enemy, and who's going to take care of him? God is. God's going to take care of him. And that might make it even easier for you to do good to that one who's opposing you. But I also don't want burning coals upon his head. I'm <laughs> Yeah, well, and again, the burning coals upon his head, as you know, is a picture of the fact that when you actually pour love towards someone that is actually out to get you, it works on them. It works on them. Now, with this in mind, I just made this statement to you earlier that sometimes that person doesn't even realize they're being used to the enemy. Along that same line, if we lose a battle to Satan ourselves and his, and, and his forces when we're tempted... It's not because we're bad. Remember, in Christ, we're a new creation. All right? The old is gone. The new has come. We still got this flesh we live in. We're a new creation. But it's because we tried to handle the temptation in our own power. And if we do every time, we'll lose. Sometimes we have a bad habit of beating ourselves up. If you mess up, does God beat you up? No. He says, you kind of took that one on your own today, didn't you? Yeah, I did. How'd that work out for you? Not too good. How about you let me handle it this time? Lord, I, that's what I need. Let's get going from here. Remember the same Peter that Jesus said, you're going to deny three times you even know me? Jesus meets back up with him. He says, Peter, do you love me? Because I do love you. Let's get going from here. Feed my sheep. Hey, hey, Peter, do you really love me? Lord, yes, I love you. Let's get going from here. Let's move forward. Ask him a third time. Peter was hurt. I love. I actually, for years used to think that Peter was trying to convince the Lord. Lord, you know I love you. I wonder if Peter didn't say it this way. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I wonder if those words actually were, started off trying to convince the Lord, but at the same time, the Spirit of God gave him insight to realize, wait a minute, you know everything, you know that I love you. I've asked churches all around the country this question, and they always get it wrong. 
I ask them, what are some things you can do to prove to God that you love him? And they'll say, worship him or obey his commands or read your Bible and pray. And I'll say, eh, 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 eh. The answer to that question is nothing. There's nothing you can do to prove to God how much you love him. He already knows how much you love him. Guys, he knows if you'll die for him tomorrow. He knows if you'll deny him tomorrow. There isn't a thing about your whole life he doesn't already know. Stop trying to prove to God that you love him and just love him. And be willing to acknowledge that some days your flesh wins. Some days the spirit wins. Yes. And did, and did Jesus not need to Oh, yes. The asking him three times was actually a gift. Was actually a gift. So what is this armor of God that we have put on? We have 10 minutes to look at two pieces. Paul says, if we wear this or use this armor, we will win the battle over sin, the flesh, and the world when the devil comes at us. But we need all of it, like we already looked at. The first part he talks about here is verse 14. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth. All right. The belt of truth, the Roman soldier's belt was worn under his armor and it protected his thighs. Now, some say that this piece of armor also held the whole outfit together. To be really honest with you, we don't really fully know. But but this much we can know. The Paul says that we need to start off wearing the belt of truth. Now. If you don't start with that, everything else doesn't make a difference anyway. And because that is the biggest thing. Now, we could spend three weeks dealing with just what the Bible has to say about truth. We can't. So what I want to do is take you to three different passages that I think sum up everything the Bible has to say about truth. And so if we're to put on the belt of truth, if we're to put on and have the, the, the first piece we put on be the truth we need to really understand what it says. So go to John chapter 17 and look at verse 17. This is one of the most clear passages right here. John chapter 17, look at verse 17. Right after that section we already looked at earlier where Jesus prayed for his disciples and he said they're not of the world just like I'm not of the world and so on. In verse 17, Jesus says, sanctify them or set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Now, isn't it interesting that one of the things that Satan goes after is the veracity of Scripture, the truth of the Word of God. How so many people think, well, I believe that, you know, parts of it are God's Word, other parts I'm not so sure. Satan will go after the attacking of the Word of God. And actually, unfortunately, a lot of script, uh, churches today are going away from what the Scripture actually says, and they're going now to what more what the world's mindset is when it comes to truth. Folks, if you want to put on the armor of God so that you're able to stand against the devil, you have to start with truth. And that is this book. Oh, and listen closely. Not Jim's version of it or your favorite preacher's version of it. We are all going to stand before God one day for those of us who have been given this role because we have stood and say, thus says the Lord. And I take it very, very, very seriously because the Bible says I will be held in higher accountability because of the role I've been given. I don't take it lightly. Yet at the same time, you're going to have to stand before God for yourself when you stand before him because he's already given you this book. And not only that, he's let you live in a country where you could have five or six or 15 different versions in your, in your closet. And we've got the ability to read it. We've got Christian radio stations left and right and 
traveling preachers and internet. and the internet. Mm -hmm. There's so much that you know you can read and you can teach and you do anything, but it's Jesus Christ. Who do you say Jesus? Is? Well, it, 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 you're, you're you're jumping ahead of me. You're looking at my notes. Go to John five now. Go to John chapter 5. We're going to take it a little bit further. Like I say, I'm going to show you three passages that sum up everything the Bible says about truth. In John 17, 17, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. But in John chapter 5, Jesus says something else pretty interesting. In John chapter uh, 5, verse 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is actually saying, you know what? You think you're going to get eternal life because you're just wrestling with the scriptures like you just said. They're talking about me. Plain and simple. And then we also know John 14, 6. That's the last one. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Folks, ultimately, you know what truth really is? Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus is God Himself, not an emanation from God, not just the Son of God. He's God Himself who took on flesh, lived without sin, rose from the dead by His own power after dying for our sins on the cross. And He is the only way to the Father. You want to start off against the attack of the enemy? You better stand firm in that one because unfortunately, even Christians, and I put that in quotations, around the globe are saying He's one of many ways to God. As a man told me on the golf course about a month ago, I think that a good Muslim has just as much chance as a bad Christian. Folks, you want to put on the armor of God? Jesus, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus is God and he's the only way to the Father. Oh, by the way, is that going to make you popular in this world? No, it might even get you killed in a few days parts of the world, it'll get you killed right now. Well, do you want to stand against the enemy's attacks? Or do you just want to just jump to his side? Put on the belt of truth. His word is truth, but his word talks about him. and He himself said that he is God and the only way to the Father. You better just settle that once and for all, because there's a lot of people. You'd be surprised how many people in our churches are wishy-washy when it comes to that. Well, what about those Mormons? They're good people. They're even, they're even more righteous than a lot of people I know. But they don't believe Jesus is God. They believe that he and Satan were brothers. They don't believe Jesus is God. Folks, the issue is simply this. Is Jesus God or not? Is he the only way to the Father or not. That's truth. Everything else goes from there. You got to put that on. The second thing, though, is this. Not only the belt of truth, we're also put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, before we go any further in unpacking this, I want to look you to take a look with me at a passage in Isaiah 59. And we're, we're going to see in, in the uh, this next week as well that actually I, I could be honest with you. I had never seen that a lot of the stuff that Paul's talking about here in Ephesians chapter 6 was already written in the book of Isaiah. For years, I have taught on this passage and talked about the Roman's armor, you know, the Roman soldier's armor and how it correlated and all this stuff. And I had done lazy exegesis, to be honest with you. 
I hadn't really studied and dug into what the scripture had to say. And in doing so, it blew my mind. Listen to Isaiah 59, verses 14 through 20. Isaiah 59, verse 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Does that sound like the world? Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Does this not sum up everything we've been looking at? It's all right here in Isaiah 59. Listen to what it says. The Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on as a breastplate, sorry, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Does that not sound familiar? He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing. For all these years, we preachers have been talking about the Roman armor and how Paul must have been sitting in prison and using the Roman armor. Folks, he's describing God. He's describing Jesus himself. He would have known these things. But we just, we realize, we don't realize how much we just kind of just accept because it's always been said. And I'm just going to confess to you, I was convicted when I started to dig into this section. I came to realize, good grief, I'm not, we'll show you more next week. Almost everything he wrote there in Ephesians was written in the book of Isaiah. So God himself, Jesus himself comes and he put on garments of vengeance for his clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so will, they, will, will he repay. Wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies. To the coastlands he'll render repayment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and a redeemer will come to Zion to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Who's this one coming with breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation on his head, dealing with the fact that there was no truth? It's Jesus himself. This is a picture of him not only coming to die, but also coming in judgment. Our righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness, our righteousness is God's righteousness. We, we have no righteousness of our own. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, right? Any righteousness you and I have has been given us by God. But here's the conundrum. Is this breastplate of righteousness talking about the righteousness that we have in God because I'm only righteous because God's given it to me? Or is this righteousness talking about my daily obedience or non-obedience to God's word? Yes. Could it, be both? it has to be both. And here's why it has to be both. Our righteousness has been given us by God. All right. But obviously, the breastplate of righteousness in God's armor is his. But at the same time, are Satan's attacks thwarted in the life of the believer who claims God's righteousness, but gives in to sin and unrighteousness? I'm going to ask you this question again. Are Satan's attacks thwarted in the life of the believer who claims God's righteousness, but gives in to sin and unrighteousness? No, those th attacks aren't thwarted. This breastplate of righteousness is a mixture of the two. It's understanding that my righteousness is from God. Now, I need to live out the reality of this righteousness that I have been given. Now, the good news is, just like you and I, we don't always do it, and it doesn't change the fact that we're righteous. Yet, Satan's going to come at you, and you and I have all been there. He loves to accuse, does he not? It's a lot easier to go to sleep at night 
if you have actually obeyed. And if you have, when you've disobeyed, agreed with God, received his cleansing, and just let it go. So this righteousness that you and I need to put on, first and foremost, is the righteousness of God that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. You can look at it later on, Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, and how the, now there's a righteousness that comes from God, which the law, and the, the law and the prophets had testified to. And not only that, he who knew no sin became sin so that we, what? Could become the righteousness of God. So please understand this. If you want to deal with the attacks of the enemy, You've got to first, first and foremost understand that your righteousness has nothing to do with you and has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And I'm not righteous on my own at all. I was just, it's been given to me. So when he comes and says, well, how'd you do today? You say, thank the Lord. That has nothing to do with my righteousness. Now, it's easier for him to kind of mess with me if I've been disobedient. So it would be better for you and I to put on a breastplate of our own semi-righteousness, if you will, so that it's easier, it's easier for him to not attack you in that way. But please understand, the real armor piece itself is not your obedience to the Word of God. It's his. Yes, ma'am. So instead of saying our, our semi-righteousness, I think what you're trying to say is it's in our best interest to abide. It's in our best interest to abide, definitely. It, it will be easier for you, it'll be easier for you if you've been obedient than if you have not been obedient but your righteousness, get this on now, has nothing to do with how good you've been. Well, well Abraham, Abraham was... out with Job. I mean, that's a perfect example. Exactly. Well, Abraham, he was, he was deemed righteous. He was deemed righteous. Because he obeyed. Exactly. But it was because of his faith, right. and then his obedience was evidence of his faith. Exactly. I might even say that you couldn't be obedient Oh, I would agree with you. We could not be obedient with, well, like we've already said earlier, apart from him, we can do nothing. It's by his strengthening, you couldn't even be righteous or obedient of type of righteousness without his. But here's the thing, and we're going to just stop here for now. We'll come back next week and wrap up the rest of this study here. But listen, first of all, we're going to put on what? Truth. Jesus is the only way to the Father. He is God himself. Get that settled. And if you are righteous in the eyes of God, it has nothing to do with you. It's everything that has to do with him, and he's given us his righteousness. That's what I'm putting on. I'm righteous because of Jesus Christ. Now, will it be easier for you and I if we abide and we obey? Yes, but it doesn't change your righteousness. All right? You can't just say, well, I'm righteous because of Christ. I can do whatever I want. Yeah, good luck with that. You notice they're all defensive except for the sword. Yeah, well, we're, we're going we're gonna to get to that as well. But I can't wait to show you next week some more passages from the Old Testament that actually bring out that, yeah, Paul might have been thinking about a Roman soldier that was nearby when he wrote this, but it was also a reminder of what God had already been saying all along. I don't know if you guys have realized this yet or not, but most of everything you read in the scriptures has already been written all throughout the scriptures. When we did our study of the book of Revelation, we came to realize that over three quarters of the book of Revelation had already been written in the rest of the Bible. Folks, it's all been here all along. So let me pray for us and we'll finish up next week. Lord, uh, again, thank you for this fact that as we really start to look at this, we come to realize the fact that even though there is this serious cosmic battle going on uh, and we are totally inept to be able to deal with it, you don't expect us to deal with it. You just want us to understand what's going on and humble ourselves and yield ourselves to you because you have already overcome the world. You have already defeated Satan through your death on the cross. And I thank you for that. 
But Lord, at the same time, you now are using this battle to mature us, to grow us, to teach us more about the flesh and the spirit and what yieldedness to you means. And so, Lord, I know the only way we can really grasp this is to go through the process of you walking us through experiences and journeys. But it's so that we'll come to know you more. Lord, we need to know what this truth is in our heads, but it needs to take root in our hearts as we believe it by faith. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that nobody uh, listening to this uh, recording or anybody in this room can walk out of here without putting on that truth, belt of truth and, they, and just dealing with the fact that you are the only way. Lord Jesus, you are God, and you're the only way to the Father, and it's through your righteousness. My prayer is that everybody, everybody listening as well would come to that place that they would understand that they're righteous because of you and you giving it to us as a gift. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.